welcome back to the mountains in the sea where we find the highs and lows of each and every prince album and more every other week i'm christy and i'm josh it's been another other week already that's right a fortnight that's right we could just say that uh, every fortnight, fortnight. Uh-huh. fortnightly think about how much time we could save over the course of this podcast mm-hmm. every second is precious christy <laughs> that's why we have two hour long episodes sometimes sometimes yeah well, today, today, we are going to talk about additional interviews from 1996 and 1997. So it's been a long time since 1996 and 1997, and our memories true. have gotten a little fuzzy mm-hmm. because we really thought that the whole first episode of the Chris Rock show was all about Prince. Yeah, that's what I remembered. Uh-huh. That's also what I remembered. And I'm, I as, blame myself, dear. I as, don't blame you. Uh, well, as I did some digging and started watching things, I realized that the interview portion that we thought was from the Chris Rock show was not from the Chris Rock show. Yeah, it was from something called MTV? No, no. It was it's, on MTV. It was on the MTV vault yeah. on YouTube. Right. But it was actually... A VH1 show, VH1 to one, VH1 presents the artist formerly known as Prince. Okay, and it aired February first, nineteen ninety seven. But the way they spoke during the interview, I think it was filmed on January eleventh, nineteen ninety seven, just prior to a Love for One Another charities tour performance. Okay, in the Roseland Ballroom in New York City, mm-hmm. and Chris Rock was a guest at that show. Okay, and Prince kept saying, "You're going to be at the show tonight, right?" Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that's when this was recorded. That makes sense. Yeah. And then the actual Chris Rock show mm-hmm. premiered on HBO a week later. Okay. And the only thing that Prince did on that show was a performance of Face Down. Right. A performance. We'll, we'll talk about it. Right. We'll get there. Yep. Yeah. So there we go. That clears that up. And then I found that there was like, other interviews and stuff that I didn't realize existed. I'd never seen any of them. Mm -hmm. So we'll get to those here in a little bit. And there was one evidently in Japan that happened. I couldn't find that one, but I figured there would have been a lot of translation time and stuff like that. So yeah, he says a lot of the same things on a lot of these interviews. So it's, that's okay. I Mm -hmm. give the, uh, whoever was helping with PR at the time, if they had any control or, he made a point to have a consistent message, and I can appreciate that. Sure. Although it did lead to a lot of hearing the same stories over and over again. And that is also fine, because mm-hmm. they're at that time, now we think, oh, everybody is watching these. Why would he say the same thing over and over? Oh, everybody wasn't watching all the same stuff. Sure. You it couldn't was, get it, right? You couldn't get yeah. it. You missed it on Entertainment Tonight or CNN or whatever. You know, it's too bad, so sad. You know, hope they rerun it. You never know yeah. when. So mm-hmm. maybe you see it, maybe you don't. Now we have the ability to watch all of these things or a thing called MTV archives, which I didn't even realize was a thing until uh-huh. you told me the MTV vault vault, the vault. Sorry. Still got it wrong. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about the interview, the VH one to one. Okay. Yeah. It was, I mean, maybe it was just the vault, but there was no like 
formal introduction or like it was like started mid sit down. Well, well, like they sat down and he, Chris Rock asked, Oh, are are you, are you going, are you recording? Like Mm -hmm. basically are we starting this? And this is where it starts though. It's an edit of what originally ran. Okay. So because I did find a section that had been pulled out of that. That's right. Um, that we also watched. But yeah, so there may be more of this that I've missed, but generally it's about 20 minutes on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it started off and I thought, uh, Chris Rock is not like a, this isn't his profession, right? He's a comedian slash actor-ish (laughs) stand-up SNL actor. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Uh, I mean, fine, whatever. Fargo and he's done other stuff, but he's not a great interviewer i don't think well and he was new to this he was new to it and probably a tough ask and hi you've never interviewed anybody before why don't you interview the artist formerly known how about this man don't call him a name Uh to start with (laughs) good luck (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, so, I mean, but he do, he does, I think, a fairly good job. He does pat himself on the back at one point. Ah, oh, this is going good. Yeah, we're going good so far. Like, <laughs> he was so relieved. Yeah. It was kind of funny. First thing he asks is, on all of your records, uh-huh. what, how, did, how does it phrase, uh, may you live to see the dawn. Yep. And he asks, is, is this the dawn? Prince yeah. says, well, for me, it is. Yes. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Person, yeah. It makes you realize that the dawn wasn't a thing that Prince was really bringing about. He was actually, at least the way he insinuates here, always, may you live to see the dawn as in your own personal enlightenment. Yeah. Yeah. May you live great. to find happiness is yeah. kind of how I always yeah. read that. Not that there was some event that he was personally planning for. Right. Yeah. That's a good first question. See, like already there, like at least that is something that it's not too on the surface obvious, uh-huh. you know. Right. Um, it's not just about like. Yeah, it's coming personal. from a guy who's cracked open a Prince CD or album and read some liner notes anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously read the liner notes to multiple albums mm-hmm. in the past. So that's yep. good. That he does have a little bit of this, you know, personal stuff. Were you searching for a sexual identity in the yeah. in the eighties? And I kind of liked his his answer. Yes, it was a little bit of acting. Some of it was just rock and roll, having fun, being swept up in the moment. But it was also personal expression. Yeah, it just it was it was a good answer. Yeah, not was- not an avoidance of the question either, which. I mean, he does, he does plenty in these interviews. Mm-hmm, for uh, sure. And uh, including this one later on. Mm-hmm. I always kind of wonder why he wears sunglasses for some interviews and not others. Many of the ones we watched this time, there, nearly. There were only two yeah. that he did not wear sunglasses for. Yeah. We'll talk about that. But I'm like, did you oversleep and you don't have your eye makeup just the way you want it? Or is it a shield? against the personal questions or, you know, I wonder what the choices are. The lights just too bright. You know, you told us, you know, you've only gotten a couple hours of sleep. Maybe you're just tired and protecting your eyes because they're already sleepy. 
Yep, it's like the tone box from the symbol album, a veil he can hide behind. There you go. To a degree. He wasn't dodging anything, but it gives him the ability to look around, collect his thoughts, and... Uh-huh. Not look shifty not or look uncomfortable. Shifty. Yeah. Yeah. They talk about religion versus spirituality, um, and Prince talks about how he was forced to go to church as a child. Yeah, his words, I like how he worded, I was made to go to church. Uh-huh. That's how he phrased it. Yeah. I mean, I was made to go to church when I was young, and... The most thing I got out of that was the experience of the choir. That yeah. sounds like a very 1960s growing up kind of term. Uh-huh. I was, as a child, I was made to do this. Yeah. You, know, you were forced to. They, uh-huh. didn't, they didn't make you to do it. Uh-huh. Right. But you had to go. <laughs> right. That's what yes. he was saying, which is an interesting. That seems like a very Midwestern kind of turn of phrase. Yeah. Huh. I hadn't thought of that, but yes. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting because he would kind of turn towards the dogma and more organized religion not terribly long after this. Yep. And, you know, it's interesting that I think uh, he and I, not that, you know, he would care whether he's aligned with my beliefs or not, but I tend to agree with him more at this time as, you know, there's, it's a more of a loving God and less fire and brimstone is better. Less fear based is better. Yeah. He made a point of saying that, that, uh, he believes that we're not, uh, we don't have a God that punishes us for what we do wrong, but rewards us for what we do right. And Mm -hmm. occasionally we get a timeout, right? You know, why don't you stop and think about this Uh rather than I'm going to put you in hell for all of eternity. Right. Kind of fear. But uh, as far as the message uh, was concerned, a lot of it was based in fear. You know, what will happen to you if you do something bad? And I don't think God is, you know, to be feared that way. You understand what I'm saying? I I totally understand. I think he's a loving God. And I think he, um, uh, I think he'll reward you for that, not punish you for your mistakes. God doesn't whip his child. He gives him time out. Amen. Yeah, and he, the question, one of the questions Chris Rock asked him was about religion and his albums, and then they both like corrected it to yes, spirituality Mm -hmm. is really what it what it was, not so much religion. But yeah, he said that the only thing he got out of you know going to church as a child was the music, the choir, yeah, and being able to appreciate that and the message. Mm -hmm. He said just not hit home, right? And we can totally see that influence we had that we talked about this kind of at length with the whole prince's friend episode where they talked about the influence you can see the influence of black church on prince's music Mm -hmm. and performance style and it's pretty interesting yeah so i think that the cut-ins of performance are not from the roseland ballroom because prince says happy holy days happy holy days to people and there and he asked them if they like his house you like my house so i think that that footage is from paisley park yeah but i don't know makes sense and some of that that was shown looks like it was live footage with the audio that was there and other parts 
I think it was footage and different audio put on top of it because right. Prince doesn't miss the beat when he claps or right. tries to get a crowd to clap, and there was a lot of stuff that didn't match there. So right. it might have been just mixed audio from the same show, but there was some of it that didn't quite line up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris has an interesting question about, are you intimidated by your past self? Mm, mm-hmm. And I thought that was an astute question. Like here it is. It's, it's important. It's about him, but it's about his work. Yeah. It's a, it's a personal question about his profession and his art rather yeah. than about his personal life. Yeah. Or Prince turns it in. I'm, I'm not trying to beat that guy. I'm not trying yeah, to. Yeah. He's like, I, I, there's no guy. beating that guy. I'm not going to try and beat that guy because there, it's not a competition basically. Yeah. Yeah. And then it wouldn't be long after that, that he would release a song on the truth where he would sing. My only competition is <laughs> well, me in the past. Right. So, you know, I don't know if that's what he thought or how he perceived what other, you know, he was set up to be in competition with his past commercial accomplishments by the press, the music press, as he would say, Mm -hmm. shake his head and shudder a little bit. Yes. Chris Rock uh, asks if Prince thought that he was unappreciated in the time period in which he was releasing music and he kind of was likening it back to like Bach and Beethoven and Mozart where they, uh, you know, wrote whole full length shows every single month. And that was like their release because they didn't have, you know, albums to release because we didn't have electricity. (laughs) That that would do it. Yeah. Yeah. But Prince brought up that uh, if he'd been allowed to release like Aretha Franklin or James Brown, albums every three months that he feels like he would have been appreciated more. So I went looking. Yeah. Oh, is this true? Yeah. Did they do this? That's right. <laughs> Fact check. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Um, so Aretha Franklin released her first album in 1961. She had six years where she released two albums a year and one year, 1967 where she released three albums in one year. So not quite every three months, okay, but still very prolific. A total of 38 studio albums between 1961 and 2014. Oh, okay. Very prolific. Yeah. So James Brown, the godfather of funk, the hardest working man in show business. The godfather of funk or the godfather of soul? Uh, I saw both. Okay. So I had not heard the godfather of funk. Uh-huh. Not that I disputed. Oh, I, just I went and looked it. up what are nicknames for James Brown, and he's many <laughs> because he had okay. fifty-nine studio albums between mm-hmm. nineteen fifty-eight and two thousand and two. Yeah, from nineteen fifty-eight to nineteen eighty, he released at least one album per year. In that time period, he had five years in which he released two albums. In four years, he released three albums. In three years, he released four albums. And in 1968, he released a whopping five albums. So there was definitely a significant period of time where he was releasing albums approximately every three and a half months. So fair assessment. Yeah, a fair assessment. He released 34 albums in the span between 1966 and 1976. Mm. Unimaginable. Sometimes you wake up in a cold sweat. Uh-huh. 
Interesting. Yeah, um, but Prince also kind of walked it back a little bit, and maybe a underhanded compliment to <laughs> not an underhanded compliment, a little bit of a diss to a backhanded compliment. Back, not even that. It wasn't a compliment at all when he said, uh, "You know, had I been, you know, making music at that time, the competition would have been a lot tougher too." Oh, right. So <laughs> yeah, basically, none of my contemporaries can compare to me. That's right. And uh, I would have had to compete with James Brown and Aretha Franklin, which would have been a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they have this interesting conversation about art needing boundaries. Yeah. Which I thought yeah. was really interesting because mm-hmm. Prince said he couldn't say God or Satan. On the radio. And, and get airplay on mainstream radio stations in the 80s. So yes and no, there's... You could say some of those things, but it depended on the way you said them, and it depended on the radio station. There wasn't like an FCC law that said you can't say God on the radio or you can't say Satan on the radio, and it it was more of an attitude situation. Okay. And about being able to get airplay. Yeah, and And more broad appeal. Right, exactly. And so, you know, they talk about how the de-elevator is Satan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah, in Let's Go Crazy. um, Right. Yeah, or Chris Rock even points out, you know, Purple Rain, the first word you hear Uh is like a sermon. Yeah, dearly Um, beloved, we're gathered here today. Like everybody knows that. Right. but, But to hear it stated or said to him was certainly interesting to get his, you know, reaction to uh-huh. i don't know if he had explained you know I, th- I think it was somewhat obvious listening to the music i mean there were a lot of songs on purple rain were uh you know about god yeah um but that yeah that was him giving a message about his view about god and the devil mm-hmm. yeah the d elevator the d elevator yeah it's interesting to think about the god prohibition because here's a song that shocked me that couldn't be played on the radio when it was released. Okay. The Beach Boys, God Only Knows. No, I don't even know if I know that song. God only knows what I'd be without. I'm not white enough to even know that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's very sweet uh, the kind of song that i can't believe there was ever a prohibition of it being on the radio is basically like Hmm. i love you and i mean only god knows how i would survive without you yeah yeah. sweet song and okay yeah but then you look at i would die for you there's Uh not you know i mean that is uh not very lightly veiled you know spiritual type of song Mm -hmm. you know you know, I'd look at Lenny Kravitz with Are You Gonna Go My Way, which is a clearly Christian-based Jesus song, mm-hmm. you know. Chris talks about his view of artists as being writers, many of them. So yeah. people who are comedians are writers. People who are songwriters are writers. Obviously books, magazines, those sorts of things. These He lumps kind of a lot of artists in. Yeah, but says, I think all of us would rather be able to sing, uh-huh. but most of us can't do it. <laughs> yes, you know? which I thought so, was yeah. very fun. I lump us all into in writers, because we all pretty much up real late, writing a piece of paper, and we choose different things to do it. I think we'd all rather sing, but most of us can't. <laughs> <laughs> 
And Prince even said, you know, how influential comedians had been on trying to have some humor in his music. Yeah, and how hard it is. That yeah. comedy is is hard. Yeah, that it's difficult and challenging. Yeah. So there was definitely a, an admiration on both sides, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, pretty genuine. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, uh, what I remember about that part of the interview, too, is Chris Rock saying, now, is there a problem with being too free? Like, you can say anything, so the literal is sometimes easier than the metaphorical. Like Uh it's more interesting to try to bend the rules or, okay, that's your rule. Here's the cleverness, I think is what Uh Chris Rock said. Do you miss that? And I think Prince's answer was sort of agreeing and maybe not quite seeing what he was saying that now that you can just say what you mean, um, is that, does it, you know, make being creative less necessary in some ways, which I thought was an interesting way to look at it. So I don't know, you know, it wouldn't be long after that, that Prince would swear off swearing and, you know, like create his own, here he is celebrating freedom. And within Uh a year he put, you know, boundaries on himself uh, for many things. And maybe it's because he felt like I've already said what I needed to say. I can now where I'm at, I can do this without, uh-huh. you know, swearing anymore. And right. I, I well, don't want to disrespect my listeners that way. Well, and swearing was no longer pushing the envelope. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, he fought Tipper Gore in the eighties and he, I don't know if he fought, but well, Tipper Gore had a problem with, yeah, with, with parents not Nikki. knowing what right. was on a record, you know, without it being labeled. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he'd been, again, he was all about picking new battles. I think if you had to, like sum up Prince's career, uh-huh. right? Right. Three words. I just named it. Picking new, new, new battles, battles. Yeah. right? He didn't want to fight the same battle over and over. He wanted to do it and move on and sometimes manifest the battle <laughs> so that he had a hill to climb. It's like a cat who <laughs> puts a toy in a place where they can't really reach and just to see if they can get it back out again. Yeah, or put it well within reach and then put themselves in a position where they can't uh-huh. quite get it around uh-huh. a chair or uh-huh. whatever. Yes. Yeah. Chris noticed something that we often notice. He mentions Sign of the Times and mentions how particularly salient that song continued to be a decade yeah, after its later. release. Yeah. And uh, we continue to notice that, that long, long after the release of many of Prince's songs, it feels like he could have written it yesterday. Yeah. He compared, Chris compared Sign of the Times to Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, uh-huh. which I had never really made that connection. It's a statement of like reality. Here it is. And just by saying it makes it sound insane. Yeah. Can't be right. Yeah. Right. We're sending people to the moon and there are people dying of hunger yeah. on earth. Yeah. You know, we've got to solve our own problems first. So, yeah. Chris can't believe that Prince isn't influenced by his contemporaries at all, which... <laughs> yeah, I think that, um, you know, Prince was always very, uh, you know, he liked lifting up new artists for sure. Right. Sometimes ones that really deserved it and sometimes ones that did not, <laughs> based on talent anyway. Uh-huh. Uh, but you don't know what you get until you give it a shot, I guess, right. many times, too. So he liked to see potential. But he did not like to find people, artists, 
his age, his experience level to do that same kind of thing with. So there was a like almost like a, not that he was afraid at all, but he was definitely not one to want to compare himself to someone else that was currently making music. Right. Unless it was a predecessor who he was, was working with, like Larry Graham. Yeah. But he would yeah. say, yeah, he grew up listening to these people. So they were, you know, uh-huh. influential and like almost like a parent because they were always there. Yeah. And that's what he listened to. Right. Yeah. And then uh, Chris asks about the rivalry between Prince and Michael Jackson. And, you know, basically he says it was never really a rivalry for me. We get the whole story. Um, This part got left out of the MTV vault version, but we found another little clip of it where he tells the story of him turning down bad. Yeah. And why? And why? Yeah, he did throw a little bit of shade I thought you know by saying you know I'm a musician I'm uh-huh. like yeah. and what Michael Jackson is doing is his own thing but it's not musicianship right yeah right because Michael Jackson I don't think he wrote all of his own songs no and uh he didn't play many instruments certainly never on tour sure um he was a dancer that was, he sang and he danced and that yep. was his performance. And Prince was like, well, I do that more. Yeah. And in high heels. That's right. <laughs> Chris asked how Prince prepared for tours. Oh uh, yeah. Which I thought was a good question. That was a very good question. And uh, not really the kind of answer that I think Chris Rock expected. He expected a, yes, I, you know, I drink a lot of water and we rehearse this many hours a day and you know, I do this, that and the other thing or whatever. I get on a good sleep schedule. None of that. No, he says, he said he was reading a book called the seat of the soul, right? Which is by Gary Zukov. Okay. Um, at that time. And that was, that was his preparation at that time. So yeah, just getting into a mental space that I think what, you know, made him ready to, perform but yeah no like rhythm of you know we're gonna rehearse from here to here we're gonna rest from here to here Uh yeah i think it was one of the clips they showed of paisley park show where he's on stage with a bottle of water Uh which you don't often see right drink anything right you know yeah makes me thirsty just thinking about it (laughs) prince likened the way he runs his band to the bulls and michael jordan he talked about how that's his favorite team and his favorite player in the NBA and that, uh, you know, he sometimes not everybody's on their game and when they are not that they are upset about it. And but most of the time they do really excellent work. And yeah. And he made it about respecting the music again. So you've got to sure. be there doing your best to respect it. Mm-hmm. It was he was asked, right, who's your favorite athlete? And of course, he said Jordan and late 96, 97. And it was more about like the, the work ethic than the, the personality or, uh, you know, that kind of thing. It was just like working hard to hone your craft is what impressed him the most. Mm -hmm. For sure. Chris asks if he could build his own traveling Wilburys type band, who would be in it? So the traveling Wilburys were a super group that included Bob Dylan, George Harrison, Jeff Lynne, Roy Orbison, and Tom Petty. And Prince 
could not name anybody who had not previously been in a band with him that he would like to invite. Correct. It was a very similar to the what contemporary artists influence you, make you excited to go and record none. Who of those people that you cannot name for that question would you want in a group with you? Yeah, none. None. It's very funny. <clears throat> yeah. He even asked Prince. Chris asked Prince. Are you familiar with the traveling Wilburys? And Prince kind yeah. of paw, like didn't seem to quite know where he's going. And he was like, "You mean like Bob Dylan?" And, uh-huh. and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Didn't quite know where the question was going, but yeah, again, it was Chris trying to get to. Yeah, uh, what artists do you like? Who do yeah. you listen to? Who's influential on the radio? If you whose song would you want to turn up if you were listening to the radio in a car? Yeah, couldn't do it. Or wouldn't do it. Couldn't or wouldn't. Yeah. Yep. Chris invites Prince to talk about the Love for One Another charities. Mm-hmm. Um, they plan to create a school and eventually a hospital. Yeah. Um, so the Love for One Another charities is still operational. Oh, really? It is. Uh, Maite is still involved. Uh, rather than creating a school, they support educational initiatives all over the country. Um, rather than building a hospital, they support organizations that provide health care and options to rise out of poverty all over the U.S. So. Yeah, all that stuff was really interesting to hear him talk about how mm-hmm. new thing now, I've made all my money. You know, yeah. I've made money from emancipation even, you know, right. more than I made from the album Purple Rain. And so now I can go give a performance people pay to come see me we take everything not a part of it but every penny and put it towards doing something for other people yeah so which i thought was great yeah you know the hospital thing kind of gets close to it but you know to have their the tragedy of what happened to their baby live on that was certainly a way to you know give back or uh you know help other people or like starting to pave a road to help other people who wouldn't have had the resources to cope with that. Mm-hmm. Not that they did a great job coping with it, but right. they did it but their way. But at least financially, they didn't have yeah. like a worry about yeah. how are we going to pay this hospital bill for a baby who lived yeah. six days yeah. in the ICU. Yeah, don't we get a refund? We didn't come yeah, home with a child. Yeah, we didn't get to come home with the baby, but we're still stuck with all the yeah. costs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was part of it. All right, so then we originally thought that this whole interview and the face-down performance were one and the same. They're not. Part of me still wants to believe it. (laughs) (laughs) So I went onto HBO Max and watched the whole first episode of the Chris Rock Show. Oh, okay. And the title says that it's... Johnny Cochran and the artist. Okay. The artist portion is not on HBO Max. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I thought so. But um, you still found it. Right. But it's I did there. find it. It's out there. It'll right. be on our it'll be on our social media. So all you every 
video that we talk about today, you'll be able to find there. You can find us on Facebook, the Mountains and the Sea of Prince podcast. You can find us on Twitter at TMATS podcast, T-M-A-T-S podcast. Or you can send us an email, podcast at gmail.com if you need a link to something and don't want to go on the social media to find it. So Prince Vault has this listed as a lip sync. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's probably accurate, but it's a good one. It's a good one. Um, you mentioned this to me like as it started, so I was paying attention closely and watching. But yeah, he does uh, hold the microphone up close to the top of the mic, so his mouth is covered much of the time. And the more I have watched and listened, it sounds like a lip-sync performance of another face-down live performance. Okay. Which uh, is the one that was on the single that was uh, released in early 1997 from a recording in New York. Okay. So I tend to believe it. Yeah. And also there's, I mean, it could have been, you know, planned to be a pre-recorded drum beat. It's not live drums in the song anyway, but there's not a drummer. Right. There. So at the very least, portions are pre-recorded. Right. Um. And it may have been like a live mic where he could say some things over top, but not everything. Yeah, but a weird, you know, was it on Oprah when he said, when I'm on stage, my mic is on. Yeah, I remember. Another interview during this time period, he made a point of saying, you know, it's it's live music. Yeah. Um, This was not that, so don't know why. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they drag Prince on stage. He's Mm -hmm. wearing his NPG hockey jersey and a white hat and sunglasses and a trench coat and a turtleneck. Yeah. Yeah, so they all start off kind of dead. Yeah. Not all of them face down. Right. Some on their backs. Well, it's hard to play your bass guitar if you're laying on top of it. It's hard to pretend to play a bass guitar (laughs) when you're laying on top of it, too. This is true. Um, it's definitely HBO because he does say MFR. Yes, he does. Yep. There's some little funny bits. Prince drags band member over. A black child going buck wild yeah. drags him over and they kind of laugh about it. And um, They seem to really be having fun. Prince like smacks his mic like it isn't working at one point, yeah. which I thought was kind of funny. Which, again, makes me think it's a lip-synced performance. Yeah, there's a little hint in there of him telling you yeah, this the is stuff. A, yeah. yeah. Uh, Prince pounds the piano. He messes with the bass guitar. We get a sideways get wild sign. Yeah. Which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And then the whole band, after some hoedown dancing, collapses yes. at the end. They end where they started, or they began with the end in mind, That's or right. both. That's right. And uh, some of them are shaking, like there's little, uh, <laughs> yeah, like the nerve endings are still twitching. <laughs> yeah, which was very fun. Yeah, it's cute. So, all right, and then we have we've talked about this, we've alluded to this, or the end of this particular interview before. So Prince went on the Today Show for a live interview on December 16th, 1996. Yes. And it ends with the whole talking about the clothing. 
right. situation. You know, would he dress like Brian Gumble ever? Right. You know, does he own pleated khakis? And yes. It's very funny. Would you wear my shoes? Yeah. Oh, hell no. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's a, it's very funny and endearing. So I wanted to see the rest of that interview. So yeah. I went and found it. You know, of course, they start with a little background and all that stuff. No sunglasses on this interview. No sunglasses on this one. Prince talks about how he's getting a little more comfortable with interviews. Mm-hmm. It's not something he had done a lot of in the nearly 20 years up to this point in his career. Sure. So when he was forced to do it, he kind of uh, made it silly and funny. I'm thinking yeah, or it was in print. Yeah, it was in print. Yeah. Bryant Gumbel just has to drop that they talk on the phone occasionally. It's not a problem for me to not call you Prince. I'm like, oh my gosh. He, like uh, it's like uh, name dropping, but worse. Even worse. It, it, it pains me to watch Brian Gumble. As much <laughs> as I do believe that he was, you know, a fan of, his, of Prince's music, not a bad guy, but uh-huh. yeah, a little insufferable. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Talk about his name some. Sure. Prince is not overly bothered by the fact that it makes people uncomfortable that they don't know how to pronounce his name, which is totally fine. Uh, Prince is not super happy that Bryant brings up that he was called Skipper as a kid, but he does some funny, silly things to kind of play it off. And so I enjoyed that. Then they finally actually talk about the album. Right. And something that Oprah did not do. Right. Um, and he, he asks about the goals and, you know, Prince has all this freedom. And as soon as he gets this freedom, what does he do? I want three discs, 12 songs on each disc, total of 36. I want them to be one hour to the frame. Yeah, to the frame is what he Uh says. Now, that's, you know, it's different when they're your rules. You know, you're free to do what you like. So then he set out to put this blueprint together, he said, for the album. Now, how, if that's really how it worked, that, you know, before he had recorded a single note. Yeah. You know, here is the framework that I'm trying to fit it into. Probably a little bit of uh, revisionist history there. Because we know some of the songs on Emancipation were recorded. Prior. Years prior. Right. Brian asks about. Uh, Betcha by Golly Wow being the first single. Yeah. Which we don't really get a clear answer to. He's just, just that it was a pretty song yeah. and that it was... Uh, it was a lot of nostalgia for Prince, I think. Yeah. So it was one that meant a lot to him and he really wanted it to be released. Yeah. Or he said that it kind of represented the entire vibe of the package, I think is what he uh-huh. referred to it as. Right. Um, that it was just pretty and soulful and happy and cheerful, and which is true. Yes, for sure. And then uh, he asked about album chart performance, that it debuted at 11 and fell to 58 for a couple of weeks. And how did Prince feel about that? Aren't you a little disappointed? And then we kind of get to hear what Prince's promotional vision was that didn't happen. Sure. He said it's expensive package. It's going to go up and down two to three years. We're going to be promoting this 18 singles. It's a, it's a two to three year project. 
Uh, it's going to go up and down the charts for a long time. There's at least 18 singles on it. Yeah, I don't know if he meant that he had plans to release 18 singles or if he felt that there were 18 songs that would be good singles. So right. I had thought about that again, having not seen this for a while and thought, well, you know, was that really the plan or are we taking this out of context a little bit when he says there's 18 singles could just be like I'm I'm looking at the work now and half the songs that are on this three disc album I feel like could be on the radio. Sure. So I'm gonna be You're gonna be a little lax in the Yeah. Holding them to their eighteen singles. That's right. I which, mean that's which, half of them. But you we definitely know that there were more singles planned that yeah. it definitely would have been at least five or six singles. Sure. Prince goes on to talk about the slave that had been on his face just that previous summer when mm-hmm. he had performed on the Today Show. And uh, he talked about how that was as much his relationship with Warner Brothers and also with himself in the music. Correct. It had um, as much to do with my relationship with uh, my record company as it did with my relationship with myself. Uh, I had sort of become a slave to um, the concept of recording music uh, with preconceived notions, business, and otherwise going into the studio. Again, maybe a little revisionist history, but we get the studio rehab comment. That's right. That's uh-huh. after Brian insists that Maite comes over, and again, he kind of inserts well, himself into the relationship or like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, well, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, well, and that's where, that's where this comes in. He yeah. asks him uh, yeah. about you're writing a song and then you have to stop to write another song because it's in your head. Mm-hmm. And Prince says he's in studio rehab, and that's when they invite Maite in to join. Yeah, it's... It's um, a curse and a blessing. My wife has me in studio rehab now. My tech? Yeah. My tech, you want to come on in? You come on in. Come on. It's hard to tell how planned it was because she was all made up, but of course she would be because she was out in public at a television station. Surely they knew this was at least a possibility. And Bryant does seem to try and get up to offer her His seat. Yes. And Prince does too. Yeah. He stands. Right. And she comes out and she sits on the arm of the chair. So we had kind of given them a little flack about like, I can't have a chair for her. (laughs) But it really was very sweet and endearing and the way it was all handled. So whether it was planned or not, it was very sweet. Like she sits down and Prince like drapes himself across her lap and it was very warm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no harm, no foul there. No. Yes, so yeah. I rescind any previous negative comments about <laughs> her sitting on the arm of the chair. And then we see a little funny prince. Maite, what do you want him to do instead of record? Yeah. And Maite looks and Prince goes, the lawn. Yeah, in his best white man <laughs> voice too, the lawn. <laughs> what do you want him to do instead of record? Instead of recording? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're trying to get him away from recording. What do you want him to do? The lawn. <laughs> the oh, lawn. I can't see you doing the lawn. <laughs> and they talk about how that Prince has changed. He's a different man than when they first met. When Prince and Maite first met. Right. To clarify. <laughs> yeah, not him and Brian Gumble. <laughs> yeah. Although they go way back, Christy. 
You can tell. <laughs> you can you can tell they talk on the phone. Uh, yes, they do, and mm-hmm. it's not a problem for Brian. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Again, they you know they have to ask. There's something that happened with your baby. They did a good job. You know, Maite doesn't look at the camera. She only looks at prints. Yeah, totally Totally defers. uh, Yes, she is very careful about what she says. She wants to make sure she has permission to say whatever she is going to say. And uh, I thought he was getting closer. The anything that happens, we accept. Yeah, but the thing is it has already, I mean... It had already happened, but that was almost like our life view moving forward. Right. We're at peace with this. And I thought it was interesting that Bryant kind of recaps that and says, you know, anything that happens is for the best. And Prince says, anything that happens is for a reason. Yeah. But you're of the belief that whatever has happened has happened for the best. It's happened for a reason, yes. It was not the best. Right. Yeah, because Bryant tries to... To put a positive spin on it. Well, also to kind of put into actual words what they're not saying. Like he says, it sounds like something. Uh Uh-huh. You know. Right. Yeah. Nice try. And he also says, and I'm going to, it sounds like, and I'll leave it at this. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to pry anymore Uh because I want you to call me later. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll just say, hey, dude, instead of hi, Prince. Yo. Yo. And then, uh. Bryant lightens the mood for the end of the interview with the portion that we've already talked about with his asking about his clothes. Yeah, asking about his clothes, which was fun. And wishes them how does he say it? Not a happy holidays, but enjoy the holidays. Something. They're surrounded by poinsettias. It's Uh very, you know it's Christmassy. It is Christmas time. Yeah. In New York. All right. Then Entertainment tonight. That's right. The bastion of, you know, journalism. Oh, yeah. This is hard-hitting stuff here. (laughs) Uh, Prince did an interview with Lisa Canning. Yep. It aired late April and early May of 1997. Of course, because this is a tabloid show, they talk very little about the music. And the first thing he asks is, why is Maite special? I'm like, Lisa, come on. (laughs) Why is she special? Yeah, they're just trying to get snippets of audio. Yeah. Yeah. That's all this was, was was fishing for that. And Prince did it because it was an opportunity to promote the album, which Mm -hmm. was all on him at this point. Right. So I thought it was interesting... In the timeline, the Today Show interview, well, first it was the Oprah interview, then it was the Today Show interview, then it was Chris Rock. Here we are in April of 1997 with Entertainment Tonight. By this time, it's known that their baby has passed. They mention in the voiceover, you know, that they, they had a baby that didn't survive. That was basically it. Married just over a year, the couple made headlines once again with the birth and death of their first son. It's the one topic the artist refuses to discuss, though Maite's pregnancy clearly left him a changed man. There's, I mean, almost nothing about the album. Um, He kind of spoke a little bit about the meaning of life and that uh, physical disagreements keep us from our goals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It was very, again, they were just trying to figure out how to use 
clips from the brief interview that they had. Yeah. It was fine. It would have been better if it had been John Tesh, but... <laughs> but, uh, you know, Lisa Canning was a black woman. Sure. So, there yeah. you go. Which surprised me, because I thought that Prince is more comfortable talking to women. Sure. But thus far, you know, between Oprah, Chris Rock, Bryant Gumbel, uh, Lisa Canning, and there are others to come, he's seemed most comfortable talking to Chris Rock of all yes, of them. For sure. Then there was Showbiz Today on <laughs> CNN. Oh, yeah. It aired late July 1997. Mark Shear is the interviewer. There's, they have somebody else listed on Prince Vaults, but the he said his name, Mark Shear. Okay. Um, in the actual interview. So, of course, they have to give background interview. Uh, let's see. Oh, Prince was wearing sunglasses in his entertainment tonight. Yes, he was. Interview, as he is on his CNN interview. He talks about contracts, the constraints of the record company deals really weighed on him mentally and emotionally. And they do mention in the voiceover how the distribution deal with EMI was... Yeah. Set up and then EMI declared bankruptcy. Yep. And even still, it was Prince's most profitable record since Purple Rain. Number one at the bank. Right. There's a little bit of footage of a press conference that they held to start the Jam of the Year World Tour off. Okay. And I couldn't find that. The press conference. Yeah, the press conference. All I could find was like 30 or 40 second clips of it. Um, but not the whole thing and not anything that we haven't really heard other places. Mm-hmm. Prince declines to name the other artists who he says would like to be in his position. Of uh, being free. Uh-huh. Yeah. Every artist that comes up to me now, first of all, congratulates me. And uh, they're very happy for me. And uh, a lot of them, um, they'll go unnamed. They would like to be in the same situation. Uh, people call him sir or yo. 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 Um, and respect is the reward that the artist has earned. That's how they wrap things up. Yeah. And um, I think other than Rosie O'Donnell, this is the only white person that he has an interview with. Yeah. Okay. At this time. I hadn't, so, I hadn't thought of that, but yes, yeah. you're right. Then in December of 1997, Prince did his First interview with a local news station. Yes. He'd never done a local news station interview. I think at this point they're stretching for to find a first. Well, he's done interviews and Uh he's done them in the newspaper and he's, you know, just talked to all these national people, but not a local. Well, my guess is the local press has been trying to talk to him for a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The local news station has. Sent messages to Paisley Park or yeah. wherever Prince was prior to that. Requesting an yes, interview. Yes, we would love to interview you, and he ignored it more than likely. So it was KMSP, The Buzz. Kumsp. Uh, <laughs> right. He was doing his first hometown arena show in a decade. It had been uh, September of 1988 when he lasted a arena show in Bloomington, Minnesota. Uh-huh. And so he has an interview with Robin Robinson, a local reporter. Yep. They sit down on a couch. 
Very 1980s. I mean, I thought they were like in a spare bedroom of the Golden Girls house. Uh-huh. That's what it looked it like. It was an ugly couch. It was an ugly couch. <laughs> but whatever. It looked comfy. It was yeah. like very smooshy. Yeah. This was the most bright room I think Prince ever did an interview in, <laughs> yeah. too. I mean, I was almost White like, I walls. understand why you're wearing sunglasses for this one. <laughs> right. it was bright. Yes. Um, so... Of course, it's been a decade since he's done an arena show, and uh, Robin asks him why. Yeah. And he basically says, well, my bands don't like to play here, and blames it on the local press. Yes, local music. Local music critics that they want what they remember from his younger days, and he kind of understands that to some extent, but also made it to the point where he and or his bands didn't really want to perform in that area in a, to a large crowd. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. But he talks about how great the fans are. Yeah. So. Yeah, he does. And also that he doesn't understand criticism right. in general too was something he yeah. spoke to. And this was one of the, uh, one of my initial thoughts for the C of this episode, <laughs> which we'll get to shortly, was uh, you know him saying, you know, it, this couch is. If you don't like the couch, then don't sit on it. Uh-huh. But there's no reason. It's a waste of words to uh-huh. you know argue about it. But then I think, didn't he just spend the last three years doing exactly that? Yeah, like if you don't like the music his, industry or uh-huh. the fact that you signed a contract, then serve your time, so to speak, and then do something different. Right. And uh, yeah, it struck it, me as a little hypocritical, um, a little revisionist history again. Um, you know, I think Prince would tell you, well, that's how we grow is we make these mistakes, we learn, and this is where I am now. You're confusing the present with the past. Sure. I can hear him saying it. Yeah. But, I mean, also, we don't always have the choice. You don't like this couch, don't sit on it. Well, did you have a choice whether you were going to sit on that couch? Did you look at that couch and say, I don't like that couch, and say, I'm not going to sit on it? No, you sat down on the couch. Does that mean you like the couch? It's there in your living room. That's also a fact. And maybe you don't have the scratch to go Yeah. buy a new couch. Sure. Or insult the couch with something on your face to make it want you to leave. <laughs> Or to make it want to <laughs> get right. up and leave. That's right. <laughs> oh, they talk about internet distribution of music. Oh, which yeah. Is like with, brand with a new little thing. Sc- screen recording uh-huh. of the website. A, a screen recording. They pointed a camera uh, yeah. at a well, that's monitor. What, okay. <laughs> well, this whole, this whole interview is a sofa recording. So. <laughs> Yeah, and you get, they were talking about Crystal Ball and the Truth, yeah. which was soon coming, but really right. it was the Jam of the Year tour, which is why we're going ahead and talking about it Sure. now. Yeah, these periods definitely overlapped a bit. Sure. Yeah, he talks about how having made a greater portion of the profit through more direct sales uh situations that he was able to provide recording time at Paisley Park for more artists and for younger artists, for people who couldn't afford necessarily to have studio time could be invited in. And I'm like, 
That's great. It is great. But he also flashed Larry Graham as one of them, who's, yeah. you know, an accomplished, you know, successful musician. Sure. They talk about how his unpronounceable name shields him a little bit from criticism, that he it affects him less. Yeah. So if he hears, you know, the artist, you know, did this, he's like, well, it can't, it can't get to me because it, that's not even who I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've found something very interesting is that um, if you don't hear someone say your name and then something very critical and mean afterward, it has no effect on you you know so if they say the artist this or the artist that or the artist formerly known as prince or something like that maybe it just bounces right off <laughs> I, I don't even hear it it doesn't register as anything oh and then we get the really poignant bit where robin says uh she can't see him doing a dinosaur tour yeah. in 20 years yeah. i can't see you as a Six-year-old man only playing the hits. You're going to be playing to a young crowd forever. And, uh, you know, God willing, I make it to 60. And yep. hindsight is super, super heartbreaking. Yeah. I don't see you in 20 years from now doing a dinosaur tour. I was going out and touring at 60 for, like, 18-year-olds. Is there a point in which you will stop? God willing, I make it to 60. I'll definitely be playing. So you can call me what you want. who knows what how how long he thought he would be around but you know he sort of did a little bit of forward thinking with oprah too saying you know a song a day until i die yeah um so despite how he left his affairs i don't think that he didn't think of his own mortality sure to a degree didn't didn't feel like he was invincible no for sure not the spectacle shop couldn't get a hold of Prince. That's right. It was so silly. The spectacle shop. Like Robin's got this pair of sunglasses that evidently were specially made for Prince. And she has them because they couldn't get a hold of Prince. Yes. I'm like, was she just, she's holding his glasses hostage. That's right. For him to call her. I'm like, this yeah. somebody from the spectacle shop could have driven over to Paisley Park and said, we have the artist's gl- sunglasses ready. We thought we you might like them. That's Somebody right. Somebody probably would have been super delighted. Oh, I get to bring those to uh-huh. him. I get, yeah. I get to take those to Paisley Park. I have a reason to be there. That's right. Walk in with the package and your PO. Uh-huh. That's right. you're like, yeah. Deliver. Sign here. That's right. Is Sir around? Uh-huh. <laughs> Is Sir around? <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Then they have a silly contest for who could win front row tickets to the show. And they kissed a Corvette for four hours. Um, (laughs) It was just keeping your lips on the car, whoever did it the uh longest, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then they have a a second segment. Oh, yeah. I guess they had too much gold for local television. That's right. It was, they had a nine o'clock show and a 10 o'clock show. So, that first part was at the nine o'clock show, and then at the ten o'clock show, Larry Graham joins him for on the same couch of, on the same couch for part of the interview. And uh, Prince says he doesn't have a social agenda when it comes to his music; he writes it as it comes to him. And um, they chat about the love for one another charities a little bit. They say they've purchased the land for the hospital. Yeah. So there was additional land just adjacent to Paisley Park that they had purchased with the idea of having uh, charities. 
yeah. run from that stuff. Yeah, that's fine. I'm, they were delighted. <laughs> Obviously, they were absolutely thrilled with having the opportunity to interview him for local television. Yep. And then there was a couple of things that Prince did this year that uh, were a bit unusual. Mm-hmm. Is he did a presenting of some awards. Yeah. He received plenty of awards. He got the chance to honor others. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction in 1997 included Parliament Funkadelic and George Clinton. Mm-hmm. So Prince gets up to introduce them. Maite set aside. I'm not exactly sure why she's there other than... Oh, well, I think it's a, nice. It I was mean, sweet. We're together still. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was very sweet and she was very pretty and next to him and laughed at his jokes and it was cute. Yeah. Especially hearing him say the word you, you pee on it uh-huh. and then, and then send it back to me and I'll pee on it. Uh-huh. Yeah. He tells the story of George Clinton, yeah, uh, you know, that where they are sharing music together Yeah, and that was his, his way of speaking. Right. He was going to put the P funk on it. Right. Yeah. Uh, one time he sent me a tape and says, um, um, you pee on it and then send it back to me. <laughs> and I'll pee on it and then we'll see what we got. So. Prince talks about how influential Parliament Funkadelic had been on him to the point where he went and saw them all sing live and yep. then went home and recorded Erotic City. Yep. I went to see him at the Beverly Theater, and it was frightening. Fourteen people singing Knee Deep in unison. Uh, uh, that night I went to the studio and recorded Erotic City. I'm like, this is the story you should have told Chris Rock when he asked you. Yeah, who contemporaries. Yeah. You are I not mean, they're, contemporaries. They're, or, they are, yeah. but they're not. They're, they were still performing live. Yeah. So, whatever. Uh, a ton of people come out because Parliament Funkadelic is one of those bands where people are in and out all the time. It's a collective. It right? is a collective. Yeah. And so, but George Clinton was uh, one of the first or the first founding member in it the longest. So, of course, he's the one that Prince also knows well. And so they talk about it. George comes out and he does thank Prince by name. But he says, Prince. I'm like, yeah. only George Clinton could get away with calling well, him sure. Prince. George Clinton still also like brought fried chicken to eat in Paisley Park mm-hmm. when there was a, you know, that was not allowed. Right. He didn't care. He did not care. Mm-hmm. And Prince wore sunglasses for this presentation as That's well. Yes, he did. Yeah. And then the final presentation and thing that we're going to talk about today was that in 1997 at the Essence Awards, Prince presented to a man named C. Kenneth Johnson. Uh, He had a rough young life, got attacked in his own home, home, shot in the head, beaten with a baseball bat. And Prince was so moved by his story that uh, he wanted to come and do this presentation because instead of meeting that attack with anger and a desire for retribution. C. Kenneth Johnson saw it as a call to take care of young black people in his community. And so Prince does the very, the, 
uh, voiceover for the whole story. Mm-hmm. It's all very, very touching. He's working on this tiny budget. He's adopted eight children and been a foster to over a hundred others. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a very, very sweet story. And it's the most scripted of the appearances. Yeah. But because very touching. All, yeah. It needed to be right also. So yes. I, I appreciate, you know, the scripting sometimes is a smart thing. Sure. This and the Today Show appearance are the only ones that Prince did not wear sunglasses for. Mm-hmm. So it's very sweet. And go watch it. Um, see, Kenneth Johnson's no longer with us, but he did touch a lot of young lives in his community. And it was sweet. Worth, worth a chance to visit. For sure. All right. So we're going to are going to go ahead and make our selections. We choose three things. We choose a time capsule, which exemplifies the time at which the material was recorded, which I mean, all these are interviews. Uh, yeah. The, so they were recorded and released about the same time. The, uh, sea, the low point and the mountain, the high point. So sure. it's not our usual kind of, it doesn't quite have the bite that yeah. it usually does. Right. <laughs> Right. But there are definitely things that are highs, lows, and period definers. So for a time capsule, for me, it was the face down performance because it was really one of the best, most fun songs for emancipation. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't perform it at... That's true. At promotional appearances because of the language. So he finally had an opportunity to be able to quote unquote perform it on television right. in a way that was honest to the original song. Yeah. So, yep. Um, for me, I, this, I reread this. I'm like, boy, I'm kind of a bore, but his look during this time, you know, we, mm-hmm. we talked earlier about the overall message, kind of this at peace with things and trying to do good and trying to not, uh, be, pulled down by negativity um, is certainly like this consistent message, but also his look and his appearance during the time with the goatee, the white ski jacket, the orange and green turtlenecks. He had his appearance very well curated almost always, but late 96 into early 97, it was, you knew who you were looking at, even though he looked different than he had Uh in the past, relatively short hair, a goatee, which was, you know, not something he had done much before. Right. Cool. The C, um, for me was how much his marriage and information about their baby and his name took precedence over talking about emancipation so much of the time. Like I, they, we saw more of actual, music coverage, album coverage in these interviews than we had before that. Yep. But still I'm looking at you entertainment tonight in the today show, mostly (laughs) like, okay, I get that. These are things that people are interested in just because that is what people think they're interested in. doesn't mean they'll also not be interested in the substance of why he should be there. Yeah, a lot of overlap too. Like yeah. a, a lot of these uh, interviews overlap in many, many ways. Like the Venn diagram is pretty tight. Y- yes, and you can tell that they've 
watched the interview. Like you could tell Bryant Gumble had watched the Oprah, Oprah interview sure. and like mentions it. And I'm like, don't ask the same question. Yeah, ask something new. You yep. don't need to, you watched it. So did everybody else who's interested in watching Prince on the today show. Let's talk about something different. Yeah. But yeah. Boy, for me, I've got two C's, actually. So the first is the ultra-generic, seen-it-all-before package intros leading up to most of these interviews where they Mm -hmm. show videos from 1999, Purple Rain, Kiss, as if that's all he had done from 1982 until 96, 97. There was nothing more to show than that. And the trite, you know, though he's a man of few words... His music speaks volumes. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of that stuff that I was just like, ugh. Yeah. Um, you know, plays into the insufferable part of this. That, like the interviewer inserts themselves into the story um, in almost every instance. Sure. And overall for me, the C for all of this is it made me appreciate the silence which with, with which Prince operated most of the time or certainly up yeah. till... 94, like, oh, like a magazine interview was special and it Mm -hmm. did go like even further in print. You got more to the meat of things like I remember his Rolling Stone interview in 1990 when he starts talking about, you know, maybe it was a mistake not to print the lyrics in the uh, booklet that came along with the CD and the cassette and the album. um, Or this is a collection of songs, not so much an album, this kind of stuff. So... Maybe it's just overload because we're soaking it all in here all at once. But over this is like a six month period, right, of interviews and appearances. And I almost am like, I'm actually okay letting the music speak for itself. I don't need to see behind the curtain anymore for a little while. Sure. I'm okay. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I think we probably feel that way later. I'm thinking of his Tavis Smiley. Uh, appearance where he's, you know, obviously gotten uh, into some stuff on the internet. Yeah. And, you know, he's having some thoughts and opinions about chemtrails and things. And, uh, yeah. So I kind of agree. Let's, uh, the music is a good place. Yeah. Mystery is okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yes. Um, And then the mountain was that he was willing to go and do these kinds of, Hmm. so yours, your C is kind of that Mm -hmm. he was doing more of this. My mountain was that he was willing to do it. Now I didn't like how they covered it a lot. I wish there had been more emphasis on the music. What were your inspirations? What were, you know, and if that led to a more personal conversation, I would have been fine with that, but that they, pull they started with these personal conversations but prince was willing to put himself out there because he was having to promote it on his own for the first time he didn't have a record company doing this emi is going belly up and he's still trying to figure out how to sell albums yep so very true you know he was willing to do it he maybe could have used a little help from some pr professionals to you know help guide the interviewers that may might've been part of it too. A PR professional maybe could have gone in and said, look, we know that you're interested in that. We'd like you to ask these kinds of questions. Yeah. 
we think that these are going to be revealing and helpful and interesting and your audience doesn't even know that they want to know this. They want to know this cool thing about emancipation. Yep. And maybe it's because we don't know, but like just even some of the recording process, I mean, there's 36 songs and three CDs and we can't ask a single question about outside of when Prince got into the blueprint of the album, like this is what we wanted to do. Chris Rock started talking about style and Prince lit up like, oh, you like you like style. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, we can't talk about that anymore. Like about the music. Yeah. There was very little about the actual music itself outside right. of I've done a couple covers. I did a single that is a cover, um, but mm-hmm. nothing about what was that like, you know. Right. Especially with him declaring, you know, himself, he's a musician at heart. Right. And then it got into very like soulful meaning of life kinds of questions, sure. which is also fine. But Right. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I snuck an extra C in there with that last <laughs> comment. <laughs> uh, the mountain for me, I think I've said this before that I don't find Chris Rock to be a great interviewer, but I think he did the best job asking questions that a kept him out of the story. He didn't yes. make him part, make himself part of this. Uh, except when he said, Oh yeah, I like style. I listened to that this morning. You know, I mean, that was the, like the most sort of inserting he did and it was minimal. Yeah. But he got, I think more to the heart of what Prince was up to with his music, his message and his approach to his work. He like got the closest to that type of stuff and it might just be me that I want to hear that kind of stuff, but I feel like he did a better job than any of the other interviewers um, to get to, you know, touched on things that were more cerebral and, you know, his point of view, but did a little bit better job spreading it around to more, you know, about the music. Sure. To be fair, he had a little more time, but, and he was doing this for an outlet that was focused theoretically on music, VH1. Sure. So, but, even still, like, I think there were much more interesting questions that could have been asked of Prince at this time yeah. that focused on the music or the construction of the album or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. So there you go, Prince. Agree. I'm criticizing <laughs> the people who interviewed you because they asked bad questions. They did. But like you said, maybe a PR person, because I've also done a little training for Sir if uh-huh. uh, you know, if we want to redirect, this is how you can redirect. If uh-huh. there's a question about your child or your marriage that you don't want to answer, here's a way to redirect respectfully and not come across as avoiding the question, but you know, try to keep it focused on the music. Sure. Yeah. Well, we you, you can tell we were very excited, and you yeah. know, here's here's the song that shows that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next time, what are we going to talk about? Next time. Somewhat mercifully, we're going to get back to music live, live, live. We're going to give Jam of the Year and Face Down live single a listen, which was released in early 1997. Technically a single from the album, okay. although it's from a live recording of both of those songs. Um, And then I will do some curating myself and select some tracks from one of my favorite Jam of the Year tour audience recordings. And we'll give that a listen. And I refuse to say any more than that. Oh, excellent. It'll be a little bit of a surprise. 
Thank you so much for listening. We know that you make a choice when you listen to us. We don't just come on the radio. We really appreciate that you take your time out of your day. We're happy to join you with on uh, dog walks and or errands and or a relaxing time, whatever it is that you're listening to us while you do it. And uh, we really appreciate it. If you have a friend who enjoys Prince and you haven't yet told them about the show, please do. Until next time, happy purple listening, friends. I'd say thank for sticking with us, but I said I wasn't going to say anything more, so I'm kind of <laughs> torn. I'm torn. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> it has John been Oliver. a busy two weeks, and we've got just a little bit of time. <laughs> welcome back to the Mountains in the Sea, where we find the highs and lows of each and every Prince album every other week and more. Well, no, not more than two weeks. Usually we find more than the highs and lows of Prince albums. I'm going to start that over because I screwed it up. Let me try it again. You were fine explaining what you were <laughs> saying. You didn't say it wrong. It just could be interpreted wrong. Yeah. If that's user error. <laughs> I'm going to start it again so there's less chance of user error. Okay.